Sunday evening, I was thinking about, wow, you know, my head's cleared up and everything, and the wind shifted directions, and it brought something totally fresh. It was y'all's fault. Y'all brought it from the side, didn't it? <laughs> brought that in. All right. Uh, last week, we were uh, talking about the relationship between the persecution that came in force fairly early in the church and how that impacted uh, the doctrine that kind of went all wonky out there pretty quick. We spent a lot of time talking about uh, that persecution that came from and within the Jews toward the church. And and there there were a lot of things that, that were the focus of that. A lot of it had to do with uh, the jealousy about their authority. You know, if, if, if we accept this, then we're admitting we're not who we've always claimed to be, and they're going to lose their power base. And, you know, humans don't like that. If you've got a position, you don't like it to be challenged. Uh, you have those that were truly in their minds locked into the law, although they weren't necessarily practicing it like the law had been written, but in their mind they were, and they just couldn't give that up. But no matter what the root cause was, the effect was that it affected the church in the early days. It, it sent the church out to the to the, to the far reaches of the world. It, it put people on the move. It took the gospel message and, and, and took it where it needed to go. Tonight, I want us to look at the Roman persecution because honestly, it, it was a lot different than what came through the Jews. Um, the Roman Empire had always been ruled pretty much by men that were there by military might. Uh, the army helped them to get there. It wasn't this clear-cut succession of who, who assumed the throne at the death of uh, uh, the emperor. Uh, most of the emperors were pretty cruel people. They were pretty wicked people. Uh, they were pretty extravagant. And, and the nature uh, of who they were as people really came from two different sources. One of them was that for the largely the royalty uh, within Rome, as it was throughout Europe for centuries afterwards, the royalty, uh, because you had one royal had to marry another royal, and the only way you could be safe that you were marrying a royal, a true royal, was to marry a close relative. And, and so not only were they born of uh, incestuous relationships, and if you know anything about genetics, that just promotes all the downside about everything that can happen. And when you carry that through the generations, uh, you're, you're giving birth to people of, of, a, of a mind that's not fully, fully formed the way it intended to be. Uh, because of the lifestyle they led, uh, there were all types of... Uh, sexually transmitted diseases, syphilis were rampant, and, and they were just physiologically insane. You know, I, I mean, that's just the way to describe it. And if you go back and study Roman history and really get into it, and you get to Caligula and 
some of those other ones, uh, what's, the, what's the medical term? They, they were flat bonkers. You know, I, I mean, they were totally without any, anything going on. Well, you, you couple that with the fact that you hand them the reins to a country where they are deemed as being gods and people bow to them and people worship them and people have their likeness hanging on their walls. As humans, what happens? I like this. You know, we like that. People adore you. You like that. And, and, and so just by, by nature of the fact of, of how the, the, the society was structured, and they were granted all this power and authority, uh, bad things were going to happen. What was it Abe Lincoln said? Uh, I can't remember about the corruption and absolute, but you know, it just totally slipped my mind. But it came down to, you know, total authority absolutely corrupts. And, and that's what happened. And, and so if anything challenged them, you've got to remember too that many, you didn't have these long-reigning emperors in those cases. They got by two or three years before their best buddy stabbed them or killed them. Um, they had a good run. You know, I mean, it, it was a tough world. It was a tough world. The Roman population basically came down to three classes of folks. That was the wealthy class, the slaves, and then the middle class of, of free of citizens. Now, we think of middle class slightly differently than what that society looked at. Uh, most of us fall into that category uh, where we're deemed middle class. But the middle class Roman was not quite that way. They really were, were, were the poor class, pretended to be the poor class. You had the slaves who had absolutely no rights, and you had the poor class that really didn't live for anything, but uh, enough earned enough to, to, to get their daily bread and for the circuses that were there. Now, circus has a different connotation. Uh, that was their entertainment. Now, what was the circus? It was just solid cruelty. And that's what they lived for. And, and then all of a sudden, you, you have this people that were called Christians that became easy fodder for them to fill the circus to provide the entertainment. And, and, and that's what it was. And it was that way for, for decades upon decades that, that that's where it came from. Uh, Homer Haley wrote this he said, uh, in a lecture he delivered. It's called The Church in the Anti-Nicene uh, Period. He said, the poorer classes only lived for bread in the circuses. The circuses were brutal, debasing, and bloody. The nation groaned under heavy taxation that went for great waste and extravagance. The state came first. The home had little place uh, in, in paganism. Women were considered as nothing more than chattel property, which basically means that women were in the same category as the slaves. They, they had absolutely zero right, uh, right 
And little children were often cruelly mistreated, and if born deformed or their parents didn't want them, they were exposed to die or just outright kill. Now, now we're talking about a tough society. He said it was in the, uh, such a morally degenerate, sensual, and cruel world that Christianity was thrust uh, to conquer and raised to a fit place in which to live. Now, during the lifetime of the apostles themselves, that's to the end of that first century, you really had two different ways of, of persecution from the Romans that took place. You had Nero, who was in power from 65 to 68, and Domitian from 89 to about 96 AD, which was during the uh, exile of John to Patmos and when all that was taking place. Uh, so, so and, and that was a period of some six or seven years. So as a, let's say, a government-sanctioned persecution, it really didn't exist so much out of Rome. It came from the individual little kingdoms that were within the Roman Empire uh, that they were defending who, who they were. So it, it was slightly different than what we often think about. George Fisher said the first marked instance of heathen enmity on record was the persecution under Nero. It is described by the Roman historian Tacitus. From his account, we see that the Christians were then well known as a distinct sect. Nero, who was justly detested for his brutal tyranny, in order to avert from himself whatever was, perhaps a groundless suspicion of having set Rome on fire, accused the Christians of having kindled the flames which laid in ashes a great part of the city. A vast multitude were convicted, and in their deaths they were made the subjects of sport, for they were covered with hides of wild animals, and worried to death by dogs, or nailed to crosses, or set fire to, and when they declined, were burned to serve for nocturnal lights. Now that, that's pretty cruel, isn't it? That, that's a tough world to live in. Uh, under Domitian, uh, he was considered to be a very cruel uh, uh, ruler with, with an extremely, extremely hot, jealous temper. And any time his position was challenged, then he immediately uh, attacked and, and, and took action against that person. But it wasn't really a widespread persecution. Um, but even with that, there were hundreds upon hundreds of Christians who died at his hands. Now, Thinking back to the persecution that arose from the Jews directed toward the church and the persecution that was coming out of Rome now is beginning to come out of Rome. They were two distinctly different types of persecution. But I, I, I want to ask you a question. How, how did all of this persecution Affect the church both positively and negatively. Now, 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 sat down, think about that a second. How, how can that affect the church in a positive way? It's hard, it's hard to imagine, isn't it? There's something better out 
There's something better. Scott was talking about hope. Scott was talking about hope. What does that give you? A reason to hunt for hope and to search. And, and, and once you have those that were facing up to this tremendous amount of persecution, they had to make a choice about who they were. They had, decide, had, had to decide within themselves, are, are they going to turn their back on the Christ that had, had, had given them salvation, the Christ that had died for them? Were they going to continue to stand up and, and hold his back? What were they going to do? And over the next couple of hundred years as the persecution really when you get into the second century and the early part of the third century that, that's when the real wrath comes down out of Rome that's when it really gets tough and, and, and that's when they were getting hit in, in a very 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 organized way lots of collusion that's a big word around here now uh, uh, you know, lots of collusion that was taking place. Well, Rome was degenerating by then, though. Do I? Rome was degenerating. I'm sure they were. Oh, that time, so. But in order to, to keep their, to keep their uh, what they had going to keep it up, they had to get tougher. And, and by the time you get to the beginning of the third century, when, when you've got Constantine and those coming in, that are given credit for for uh, bringing Rome to Christ. Constantine knew that was his only avenue of survival politically. And all these councils that Constantine called together in the name of the church were brought together because he was trying to build his earthly coalition to keep himself in power. It didn't work. But he tried it. But you, you know what started to happen? Whenever there were periods of peace, separation from persecution, you know what started happening in the church? People got complacent. They got complacent. Now understand, I'm not saying I wish somebody would come down and bring all the wrath right, on us. That's not what I'm talking about. But you, you think about it. Life is good and everything's a bed of roses and everything you touch turns to gold, so to speak. Look what I'm doing. Look what I'm doing. And who do we start to trust? Ourselves. And it was at that point when we reach those periods, you really start to see the, the depths of the apostasy that was coming on. That's when it really flourished. Because people didn't care. My belly's full. I've got a place to lay my head. I've got a little money in the bank. You know, I'm okay. I'm okay. What happens during tough times and hard times? What do we do? Someone do what? We look for somebody to help. We 
move somebody that can help. Because we understand we're not in control at that point. We look to Jesus. And, and, and it, it, it wasn't Jesus' point all along. Look, you know, you're going to have hard times. But he says what? I'm, I'm going to be with you. I'm standing beside you. I, I'm here. <coughs> but what do people do? Well, yeah, you're there, but I don't need you. You know, and then let the hammer fall. Boom. Where are you? Why have you forsaken me? Has he forsaken? No. Uh, absolutely not. You, you know, you, you can go through that first century and, and just kind of follow the pattern around the first oh, 10 or 15 years of that second century, I mean. That's when Pliny, uh, who was a governor uh, of the Roman Empire uh, under Trajan, the, the emperor at that particular time, and, and he was having a problem. And his problem was that Christians were coming into his, his little neck of the woods in droves. And he didn't know what to do with them. He, he didn't know what to do about it because it's just like we, we, we saw in Ephesus and places like that. You know, a lot of their economy tended to be on the little gold and silver trinkets of the various gods and goddesses and things. And all of a sudden, this Christian group's coming in. Business is down. Our income, our revenue is suffering. Our revenue is suffering. And, and, and he, he, he contacted Trajan and said, look, what do I do with this invasion of these Christians? And Trajan told him, said, just leave them alone. You know, leave them alone. Don't mess with them. He said, unless... You can find accusers that will allow you to prosecute. Okay, now guess what happened from here? You, you, you just might venture out there what happened. There were rewards offered for those who would testify. That would testify against these, these Christians. This superstitious lie. So you had a brand new interest, uh, uh, industry going on now. It was people that would go out and, and, and they would bring wholesale charges against everybody they knew who professed Christ. And they would go and stand before the courts and testify against them, and that was where their paycheck came from. Okay? Well, what happens? You know? It became so severe that the persecution really picked up. God got as bad as it did under Nero during his, his brief period as emperor, and you begin to see several fall as martyrs. Big time. Huge numbers. When uh, uh, Ignatius Vanyak, probably the most prominent name, uh, that came in there as they were taking him to Rome. He, he exhorted the Christians that he left behind as they were loading him on the ship. said, you know, you stand strong. And, and he, he said, you know, my prayer is, I know I'm going to die. He says, let me stand strong and let me die so that I can bring glory and honor to Christ. You know? Some people stood by their faith 
and they chose to stand strong in that faith, and they chose to be the one that Christ wanted them to be. You go a few years down the road, uh, just after mid part of that century, Marcus uh, Aurelius, who was emperor from 160 to about 180. If you read his historical accounts, he, he's shown as this just and virtuous ruler. But what he did was he was so convinced that the ancient, as they were viewing them, the ancient worship of Rome needed to be brought back. And so they began, he began to reinstitute all of the gods and goddesses that had kind of been left behind a little bit to promote those. And he stood for a Roman way of life. Well, what his philosophy was was basically this in, in a nutshell. He didn't like innovation. He, he didn't like innovation, and he viewed Christians as innovators. They were bringing in something new. Uh, you know how we are when something new comes along. And, and, and the Roman folks, they weren't too much on that. Uh, Polycarp, who was a martyr during that particular time, is what he wrote. He said, Six and eighty years have I served him. And he has done me nothing but good. How could I curse him, my Lord and Savior? You know, he stood strong. He stood strong. But this is where we start to, to get into as we reach all about 250 A.D. This is where the, quote, peaceful times start to come. That's when the great cathedrals begin to be built. That's when the wealth within the church began to accumulate. Uh, that, that's when uh, it, it, it became a political power base. Okay? Now, if you put money and politics into it, how does that affect that society? Greatly. We, we can see some times of that in the world we live in in the last 75 years, you know. If, if, if you look around, and just so you know, I ain't been around all 75 of those years. And <laughs> <laughs> the biggest part of them. But, but the, you know, you, you can watch, just in my lifetime, uh, most people don't understand this, I've only been interested in politics. And, and I can remember when I was only five or six years old watching the Nixon-Kennedy debates, you know. And I loved it. I fell in love with politics then. That was what, 1960. And, uh, but you watch the generations of politics and money go forward from there. My goodness, where have we gone? Where have we gone? And that's not directed toward any one person or party or anything else, folks. That's the state of politics in this country. And that's exactly what was going on in Rome. Because you, you had people that were getting wealthy because times were good. And the church all of a sudden wasn't quite as important to them spiritually as it had been. But they saw it as an avenue to wealth and power and authority. And guess what they did? They accepted. 
they embraced it. <clears throat> Hurlman said in a series of edicts, it was ordered that every copy of the Bible should be burned. That all churches which had arisen throughout the empire during the half century of comparative rest from persecutions should be torn down and that all who cannot renounce the Christian religion should lose their citizenship and be outside the protection of the law. Now, now what, what, what does that mean for them? It, it, it means you're on your own. You're on your own. And since you're a non-citizen, if, if you take the Roman philosophy, if you're a non-citizen, you're a non-person. Basically, you're a non-person. And if you're a non-person, you have no protection. He said in some places, the Christian would assemble in the churches which were set on fire and burn all the worshipers within the walls. This is Diocletian in 303, was the emperor at that time. Where his intent was to exterminate the Christians. To destroy the connection to Christ. To take away their identity as a church. Why? Power. Power and money. And once again, he was committed to reinstating the ancient worship of Roman paganism. That, that was his full intent. And we talked about this here a couple of weeks ago, and, and I'm not going to belabor this, but this is where Constantine issued his edict of toleration. Now, that, that word tolerant and toleration scared me to death every time I Because it can mean so much, but represent in reality so little about what it accomplishes. It, it, it's one of those things that. that you can talk about tolerance and it sounds wonderful, but in practice, it bites you. Okay? It bites you. By this law, it says, Christianity was sanctioned, its worship was made lawful, and all persecution ceased not to be renewed while the Roman Empire endured. And the Roman Empire didn't endure very long after this. No. That's like saying, you know, this has been a great week, and I guarantee the rest of it's going to be great, too. You know, you don't know what the way you take two hours. You know. it, it really, how do you make Christ lawful? I, I, didn't, I never knew, Terry, that he was unlawful. I, you know, I never knew that. But that's what Constantine said. By his edict, Christianity and the worship of Christ is now the law. I found this list the other day. I was, I was reading some materials from various sources. It said rationales and reasons for Roman persecution. It said the Romans were polytheistic in their worship while the Christians opposed all worship except to the one true God. How about that? 
They were diametrically opposed to each other. Okay? It said idol worship was interwoven into all aspects of Roman life. Since Christians refused to offer sacrifices to their gods, they were viewed as atheists and enemies, diametrically opposed in their positions. Emperor worship was required of all. Christians would not bow down, so they failed to pass the loyalty test to the state. Their loyalty rested where? With Christ. After the destruction of Jerusalem, Christianity was identified as an offspring of Jewish fanaticism. And I'm talking about this is the Roman perspective on this. The secret meetings of Christians in caves and catacombs aroused suspicion and rumors spread about the purpose of those meetings. They're meeting again. Doing it secretly. Why were they meeting secretly? Because if they met openly, what was going to happen? <laughs> their, their lives were going to be taken. You know, nothing shaky about that deal. Uh, Christianity looked upon all as equals contrary to the spirit of the Roman world. Business interests often caused persecution when those who sold idols and images saw their businesses hindered. Superstition, with charged, which charged Christians with causing famines, pestilence, and plagues, aroused persecution. The influence of pagan philosophies which were propagated by the Stoics and Epicureans caused people to look down upon Christianity since it was accepted by the common and unlettered class and it preached a system of faith and did not prove anything on philosophical grounds. Any of you ever take a philosophy class in college? You talk about a waste of time and dollars and everything else. I, I, I had to have one. I had to have three hours of philosophy. And I can remember the professor comes in. The first, now, this, this is Texas A&M in, in the early 70s. Okay? Now, you talk about conservative in every shape, form, fashion, style of dress, everything. And in walks this professor with sandals and shorts and, and a tank top and hair down to about here. Now this is Texas A&M now. Everybody sits there and slack jumps. You know who is this guy? And I listened to him for a solid semester and I got to the end of it and I tried to think of something I learned and the only thing I could figure out is I didn't have to take another philosophy course. You know, and that's what I was most excited about. Because I didn't understand where this guy was coming from. He was making connections with things I can't see. But this is what the Romans were doing. This is what the Romans, how they were viewing Christians, many of them. Because they accepted the common people. They would have accepted me. They did accept me. And unlettered. And unlearned. They didn't prove anything philosophically. Wow. Boy, that'd get under your crawl, wouldn't it, you know? But the Romans responded, or the Christians responded, in those two ways we talked about it. They understood their ground, 
held their head up for Christ, moved forward with Christ's message, or they turned their back on Christ and they surrendered. And the Romans were very, very open that that was the plan. That's what they were going to offer to them. They were going to tell you, can you Christians? You can turn your back on Christ and hold hands with us. Or you can die. Ultimately, that's what they were telling them. Go to Revelation. I know this is Bible study, folks, but you, but, but you can't understand what we're dealing with with Scripture sometimes if you don't understand what the society was like that they were living in. Let's go wrong by Revelation chapter 3. I've already said that in these periods of peace, when you have freedom from persecution, what, what you really tended to see, you, you, you would think relief. And, and your resolve rebuilds and grabs a hold and, 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 and you want to move forward. But really what tended to happen was weakness and, and a decline in spiritual devotion. Uh, and, and, and you were seeing money within the church, which is definitely not really what the scripture was all about. But in Revelation 3, 15 to 19, now, now read this thinking about what we just talked about. It takes on a little bit different view. Not different, but a, but a, 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 a broader uh, understanding. It says, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you're lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Wait. I feel wonderful about myself. I'm wealthy. I've got the world by the tail. I don't need anything. What does Jesus say? Have you ever had your bubble burst? When, when you think you got it all going on, you know, you get that. I, I used to call it the Charlie Davis swagger. You know, I love Charlie Davis to death, boy. He, he, he'd, he'd say something, he'd strut down the hall to school, and you know, he just had that look. I just loved him to death. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? You got the Charlie Davis swagger. And all of a sudden, somebody walks up and gets in your face and says, you wretched, miserable, poor, blind, naked. Whoa. I thought it was going on. You know? And that's what Jesus was saying. He says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. 
Therefore, be zealous and repent. Good times, peaceful times, allow an influx of complacency and lack of will and desire. We'll pick up next week and continue this.